Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today's guest is Scott Osman, a bison rancher from South Dakota. As we've talked about in previous episodes, a herd quitter is someone with enough courage to challenge the status quo and think for themselves. I think what Scott and his family have done have most definitely fit that definition. Today we're going to talk to him and learn a little bit about how and why they transitioned to bison ranching, their rotational grazing system, and the direct marketing enterprise that they're building today. Scott, welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be on. I really am fascinated by your story and what you've built. Would you mind just sharing right off the bat your your family's history as it relates to ranching and maybe a little bit about that transition into bison? Yes. Yeah, so I'm the fourth generation. I'm 25 years old and I farm and ranch with my mom and mom and my dad, you know, Mike and Darla Osmond and my wife, Kate. And then uh, we got a one-year-old son named Ted, so we're here on the place. But yeah, I'm fourth generation right here on the Rosebud Sioux Indian Reservation in South Central South Dakota near Mission. My uh, great-grandpa came here, you know, early 1900s, 1920 from down in Omaha area. Um, He settled in the county over in Tripp County and then had several boys. And my uh, grandpa Joe was the youngest. So he got sent out to the range unit on the reservation because none of the, he wasn't married and none of the other brothers wanted to come out here. So <laughs> we settled out, he settled out here and been here ever since. Uh, that was, that was back when he was first out here and he's in high school. They didn't, in the forties, they didn't have any fence yet, but you know, he, uh, he worked his way up and, you know, created a big operation, had, you know, six boys and one daughter and, they pulled together and started Osmoland and Cattle there, partnership, you know, farming and ranching, raising registered, now they raised registered Charlays. And then uh, they ended up, you know, going their separate raise. And my dad, Mike, he was raising registered Angus cattle and farming organically. We've been farming organically since 1996. We were going along, you know, we dispersed a registered Angus herd. Oh, it had been in about 2008 or nine. And then Black Angus herd, and then we were, you know, still farming organically. That really ramped up, you know, during that time period, and focusing on that. And then commercials, commercial Angus cattle, and we got ramped up. We ran about sixteen hundred cow calf pairs, and then we would, you know, we'd background our own calves, and. Then you know the prices went south. You know there in fourteen, fifteen, whatever it was. Um, and we really got to looking at everything and just, we're, we're wanting just something that fit us better, a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more, you know, less invasive, I guess you say, you know, we were hauling cattle all over the country, you know, looking for grass everywhere and, you know, hired man and night calving and all that fun stuff that goes along with the cattle business, you know. And, sure. you know, if we had beef cattle today, we, we would definitely be managing them different after, you know, watching these bison the last three, four years here, we would definitely be managing them. But when I was in college, I uh, actually read Stephen Ranella's book, American Bison. And that was, believe it or not, kind of the first thing that got my head going on, you know, like what, 
what is this bison deal about? That was, you know, real interesting. I saw some guys that were raising and selling prices were up, you know, and so we really started diving into it. And then uh, we had a guy working for the time that says, Hey, you don't, you know, you've been around, he was a trucker. So you haven't been around any bison ranches anywhere. He's like, well, yeah, I hauled Hato one up at Buffalo, South Dakota. And that was the Limperts up there by Buffalo. So we just gave him a call and that would have been in, you know, in 17, it would have been when we went up to his place and he was dry and he happened to just, so first Buffalo ranch we ever went to happened to be one of the finest genetic herds probably in the world, uh, some dudes Buffalo up there. And so, yeah, that's where we got our first animals from. So, and it's, uh, it's, uh, that's that we just got lucky. You know, we got into genetics is the same in bison as anything else. You want the good ones and you want them to perform. And, uh, so we really, that's what one thing we're really focusing on is the genetics and, uh, also our rotational grazing. You mentioned that you guys do some farming as well. How, how does that, is that a pretty big part of the operation or is the livestock larger? Our organic farming is our, is our large, large part of our uh, operation. You know, I think this year we were farming nine or 10,000 acres organically. So we were, you know, that's, that's what keeps us busy and we're, and the the bison keep us busy too, but we're just constantly, you know, farm, you know, fencing more ground of our farm ground and using the bison on it, uh, you know, to graze cover crops, graze, you know, regrowth. And eventually I want to have all of my farmed acres grazable. That's, sure. that's the goal. We're actually working with, uh, or working with equip program, our local, uh, NRCS. NRCS, yep. And uh and as well as, you know, we obviously have done a lot of it just ourselves, but we're working with them. We got a, you know, a five year plan and developing water, developing boundary fences for our farm ground and cross fences on on our grazing grounds. So but uh right here in the South Central South Dakota, it's not I'm sure probably everybody says this, but it is probably some of the best grass, you know, in the United States. We have the hills south of us here, it's all native grass, never been broken out of sod. Good water, you know, we, we hit, we're on the Oklahoma Aquifer, hit water pretty low. So yeah, it's about as good as it gets for a buffalo. Back to kind of that transition when you first started thinking about bison, you kind of, it sounds like almost had the dream there for a, a lot of people. The goal is to have, you know, that black Angus cow, you got the scale to to help with some of those economies of scale. You've you kind of had the operation figured out, yet you saw that there maybe wasn't the future you were looking for in the Angus cattle, and maybe the future was somewhere else. You know, it has to be hard to just totally switch mindsets and be willing to go a totally different direction when you've got a well-established business and enterprise that many people probably would consider to be successful and almost the dream in the eyes of a lot of folks. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess you could definitely say that. And like I said, I think if we would. If we would have looked at our man, you know, we were just like everybody else. You want to have the biggest calves, you know, and I, I know people are, are changing that mindset a little bit. We were just like everybody else. You want to have the biggest calves and you take them to the barn that first sale after the first of the year, you know, that's, that's fine. I mean, that's totally fine, but we just, it got to where it was just kind of more of a battle, you know, and it just didn't, sure. seem, didn't seem natural. So what we, we did is we sold, we it didn't all happen at once, you know, so we started fencing one of our units one of our big pastures, we started fencing it and we were going to, you know, our plan was totally transition, but obviously we want to just try it first. So 
we got our first, oh, I think it would have been, well, we fenced our first two units. I take that back. So we got 300 heifer calves, and then we got also got, oh, about 180 bred two-year-olds. And these are bison you're talking about. Yep, yep 180 bred, yep. bred two-year-olds. Well, no, they would have just been yearlings. And then we got about 80 breads. That's what we started out with. And so we still had beef cows running around, you know, and then it was really, it was that, that spring that was really bad. I can't remember if it was, yeah, it would have been the spring of 18 where it was just terrible. And so we go around and are getting ready for this spring storm because we calved in March and uh, getting ready for this bad storm and putting all this hay out for our beef cows and everything else and getting them ready, you know, getting pears behind tree groves and you know, putting out hundreds of bales, you know, getting everybody bedded down, getting the barn ready. And I went and put, I put down, you know, about six bales for our buffalo out. They were running out in a 1300 acre pasture. So we get through the storm and, you know, losing calves and just, you know, cows getting in trees, you know, drift trees, getting drifted over all that good stuff, you know, uh, we go down there and the buffalo hadn't even touched the bales and they were just out running around on the hilltops, you know, just like, it was just no factor, you know, so <laughs> That was a real eye opener, you know, or they're just like, yeah, no, we don't need hay. This is a nice day. You know, that, that is the weird thing about them when it's, when it's real tough out, you know, the wind's blowing and it's, you know, 15 degrees, that's when they're kind of comfortable. Now that that's fascinating. And Farrow Cattle Company, who we raise cattle for, it's, it's interesting the things that you talk about bison and the advantages of them. That's somewhat of what we're trying to mimic our breeding patterns after our breeding program after is mimicking nature and goes back to what the bison did you know years ago in rotational grazing they naturally did that across the plains and and in large herds and they calved at certain times of a year and that's what we're trying to do with our program and it's it's just really neat to hear you talk about that with that recognition of seeing the bison doing that and i'm sure they're uh about the hardiest animal that you you could have on a ranch uh i would imagine but can you talk a little more on those, some of the benefits that you've seen of bison, the more you've gotten to work with them and, and know them and compare them to the cattle, some of the, the advantages and the disadvantages that bison offer? There's plenty of both. Um, so I would say, you know, as far as a disadvantage for the bison, I guess I'd just start with is you've got to have your land, land's got to be continuous, you know, cause you can't. You can't just go get them in, load mm-hmm. them up, haul them, you know, haul them to corn stocks or haul them to wherever. You got to drive them there. Sure. So that's that is the one disadvantage. And but you know the advantages, you know, and we were rotational grazing with our beef cows before. You know, we just we hadn't really studied it much, but you know, it was just kind of known that you know it, it's better. But then we went to our first rotational grazing class, the Triple Seven Bison Ranch out there, Mebe Hill Ranch. She put. She had a, she hosted, oh, I can't remember what his name. I don't know if it was Rollin Cruz or one of those guys out there. He was a savory guy, um, one of savory students. And he put a class on and that really opened up my eyes. And so that's when we really dived in it. Once we got the bison and really dived in, but yeah, advantages, you know, they are just, they're just tough. You know, I mean, they, it's, they're pretty tough to kill them. You know, I mean, they, they they're just survivors. They're they don't look like it. They look goofy, but they're actually somehow designed to be perfect for the plains of North America. doesn't really make sense to me why they're shaped the way they are or anything like <laughs> that, you know, but that obviously they, 
they figured something out. The good Lord did. They uh, working them. It, it's similar to cattle, you know. So we only run them through once a year. We preg them, wean them. Everything runs through the chute. Um, they have flight zones that are similar to cattle, except it's about three, three to four times as far away. So when you're sorting them, you know you're standing mm-hmm. on the far side of the pen. You're not in the alleyway with them. We got our facilities. Mm-hmm. We have real simple facilities. You know, it's nothing elaborate. They're super smart. They're almost like goats, kind of. I guess I'd compare them to. Because if you put them in somewhere and trap them, you always have to make it seem like their idea. Unless you're moving them to a fresh pasture. If they go see you open up a gate, you try to push them in there, you couldn't, not one will go in there. But if they think they're going to fresh pasture, Mm -hmm. you just open up the gate and you follow you right in. You know, and ours, our cake broke. So we give them a distiller's cake with vitamin pack in it. And that's a game changer. When you get them cake broke and they'll follow you, that helps a lot. But if you just, decide yeah we're going to push them in here today and we're going to do it and they don't want to do it well you're just not going to do it so that's where like the cattle deal you can kind of get them to do what you want i mean you obviously don't want to have to force them but you can or buffalo there's some days and we don't have this happen very often because you can kind of tell tell the mood of the herd when you get in there whether it's going to work or not but there's some days you're like well we're gonna come back and do it tomorrow you know the wind <laughs> the wind really affects them they they always want to move into the wind no matter what you really can't make them not move into the wind rotating they're really getting our rotation down i mean they're on that 10 day two week mark in our bigger pastures they're they're ready to go they know you know when you go out there in the cake rig they just run to the gate and they run right through you know they about don't let you get the gate open sometimes they're very interesting animals you know, if you want to see your buffalo during calving, you just don't. You just stay out of there. That's the best thing you can do. That's what, you know, one of our, when we first bought those animals from Sandy Limpert out there, he said, you know, the best way to check your buffalo while they're calving is probably to go on vacation, you know, stay <laughs> out of there. So, and it's kind of hard to do. You know, you want to go see how they're doing and everything, especially with the, the beef influence that we have. But mm-hmm. that's just to stay out because they, they change, you know, they don't want you in there. They're there to protect their baby and raise it. So, and as far as I can tell, we haven't lost, you know, there's been hardly any lost and who knows because you don't know what happened anyways, if they're weather conditions or whatever, but you know, it's very few lost from that way. So, well, I've got like a million questions already running through my head <laughs> and how this all works. Like, I mean, it's really incredible. And the first one, I guess, is just what does that learning curve look like? I mean, it sounds like it's a totally different business model, totally different production plan than your cattle were. How did how did that learning curve look like? I don't say it was totally different. Um, you know, we try to make nothing we do random. So our whole goal when we first when we first did this is we wanted to have the best animals. And we were fortunate enough, you know, because a lot of people just think, well, a buffalo is a buffalo. Well, it's not. You know, it's uh it's not much different than cattle, except I would say the majority of the buffalo are not what you would call, you know, quality. Most of them, it doesn't matter. You know, they're running in state parks and everything else. And there are parks that have good animals, but it's just not something that's keyed on. And so that's something we wanted to key on. And there's a lot of guys that do do it now, you know, that key on the genetics, you know, on the grass gains and, you know, phenotyp, phenotypically how they look and how the, you know, the weaning weights, the yearling weights, we keep track of all that information. So what we're doing is we've went and, you know, bought these heifers from these best guys. And now we're keeping our own heifers back. And uh, we're just after those high quality genetics to get 
it just goes hand in hand, you know, just like the more efficient your animals are, the more healthy they're going to be, the better they're going to be. Um, mm-hmm. So we're focusing on the quality genetics to get those gains and all why we're doing that to mimic that natural herd movement to restore our native grasslands, you know, cause we have some of the, you know, I wouldn't say our grasslands are depleted, but just everything, you know, to help out the farm ground and, it's so natural for you to go onto that ground and wipe it out, you know, graze it down and then get off of it. And as soon as people start doing that, and I wasn't that much of a believer until you see it, you know, you see it with your own eyes. What it's like, whoa, this is different. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it works. It's not just something you read in a, in a grazing magazine, you know, like I thought it was. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's similar to how runner beef do except, it's just a lot less inputs, you know, other than the fence. Um, that was, sure. that was a big hurdle. Um, well, that was kind of my next question is that infrastructure, because I've heard bison can jump 12 feet and they're as agile as a deer and as big as a, you know, as yeah. big as a Angus bull. So and, the, the biggest part of that is when we got them, we, we kept them in a, a huge pen, you know, just made out of six bar, you know, six bar, uh, continuous panels. And we left them in there for about a month and then we turned them out and then they've been in, they run in their same pastures they've been since they've been here. So this is home now. We don't have those issues. I, we probably went overkill on our fence when we started, you know, we have a six wire barbed wire fence, but a lot of it, we had good five wire beef fence. We just added a wire and now we actually have animals running on good five wire beef fence and we've never had an issue. The biggest part of it is just management. You know, if you got animals that aren't settled and, you know, you're trying to do things with them, you shouldn't be doing well, you're going to have problems. Um, but these girls, I mean, this is home. They don't, if you took them anywhere else, they'd want to head back this way and they will, you know, they will do that. If you move them, if you move them down the road a mile and they think their buddies are back, back there, they'll be back with their buddies by the end of the day. So it's just management. You know, my, that's one thing my grandpa always said and my dad's told me, and it just rings louder and louder every year I get older, is management is a big word. So that's what it all comes down to. Question for you on that fence. Are you, for your subdivisions, you talk about rotational grazing, for your subdivision fences, are you still required to have those, you know, five wire, six wire cattle no, fences? Or is no. there any way to do it with poly wire or single high tensile or something yep. that you could do with cattle? Yeah. And we're not doing that intensive a grazing. You know, we're still... We're still grazing, you know, you know, quarters and, you know, half sections and three quarters. You know, our average herd size is about 220 pairs. Um, so we could get smaller, but we haven't got that down to it. But there is guys that are doing it. I know guys that are that are doing, you know, mob grazing with poly wire and having no issues. But, you know, most of our cross fences are, you know, old rusty three wire cattle fences. And mm-hmm. if you keep them tight, you know, and you don't, you know, there we well, some of them we went and added a wire to staple a wire to the top of the tallest post, you know, and we haven't had yeah. issues. But sure. if you want to do it, the best way to go in is get get good fence. You know, I have one unit where it's all all the cross fences are all good tight four or five wire fences, and we got six wire fence on on the outside. Never have had one issue. Metal gates, you know, don't they. They focus on the gates. <laughs> yeah, if, you, yeah. if you have a regular wire gate, it'll be gone in a day. So you gotta, you gotta put a metal gate in, which is actually if you run the time it takes to build a wire gate versus a 
you know, a metal gate bought at a good price, it's, it's about dead even. So what about infrastructure back at home? You're working, running these bison through the yard. Are there heavy duty shoots and head gates and whatnot that you need back at the place? Yep. So uh, we have two facilities. We have uh, the facility at the South place and here at the home place. And uh, our South place we built from scratch and it's really nothing special. You know, it's just uh, our big pens, our catch pens out back are just the six bar continuous panels with uh, two and seven eighths pipe and just about like what you'd have for beef. You know, you do have to have a little taller, but what we did, which is just, uh, I'm so glad we did is I built all of my up close facilities out of those freestanding panels. Um, they're six. We had a guy built them for us over east here. They're six foot tall. And that's, that was a game changer on the bison. I think all the entire bison industry would say the same thing, you know, cause you don't know if you go build this big fancy permanent facility, those bison just might not want to go through there. Um, so they're always wanting to go back the way they came, you know, so you bring them by, then you got to let them back by, you. you know, it, and it, it works real slick. That is something I recommend to everybody that you use those, those freestanding portable panels. Cause they are just amazing. You know, you can, they're six foot tall, nothing can get over them and, uh, they work just really good. And then we also, also another game changer is getting belting, like belting the Krells. So they, especially in the pressure areas, then they just run straight down. You know, they're not fighting the fence. That's one advantage we had is we had so much cattle equipment that, you know, we got to sell so much of that stuff, you know, portable panels like Daniel's panels. Uh, We had okay, portable, okay corrals. We had two silencer shoots. We had a portable silencer shoot. We had two cattle pots. Um, We sold all that stuff. And now we just have, you know, we have a portable, custom made sturdy tub and then a, a parasol chute. And then all they do with the parasol chute is they just add a, uh, we call it a crash cage at the end of it. So they go and the, the Buffalo, they hit the, they hit the, you know, just the cage on the end, then you catch them and it, it works. Yeah. It works real slick. But one of the, one of the key things <laughs> to the, this whole thing was having, having someone you can talk to about it that own bison. So the Himes, which is our partners in Dakota Pure Bison. They live up the road, you know, 18 miles, and they've been in the bison business since 1967. And so we had wow. Alex. Alex, he helped us so much along the way. And then all the other bison producers too, you know. We went and visited half a dozen or more ranches before we even thought about getting bought in. I mean, we went up to Canada, checked out animals up there, checked out facilities. And so I just pulled out what I liked out of each facility and that's what we use for ours. And and we're not done yet. You know, we still got building to do. Like our home place, we got a whole set of beef cattle corrals here. But, you know, it was just too complicated. You know, it's, it's simplicity. Simplicity is what bison like. You know, you just need a, a pretty good angled catch pen and then an alley leading up to your tub. And that's, I mean, the more swing and gate, or and you want swing gates, but we just push them in with a, a skid steer and a pusher. I don't know if you've seen any of our videos on that, but. It's an eight foot center with like four foot wings and we just let so many buy, you know, let you go in the triangle pen, you let so many buy and you just follow them all the way up to the tub. It just works <laughs> slick. You know, they're not fighting you. Um, so there's no yelling, there's no screaming, you know, guys running up and down trying to get them in the alley. It's just, it's, 
it's way different than I thought it would be when we first got in the industry. But that was a huge part, asking advice okay. from people who know, you know, and that's like anything in life, I guess. But people can get some, you can get some goofy ideas if you try to think of it yourself, but you have someone come in and look and say, oh no, that's not going to work. You know, you can take some of that advice or you can leave it. So, Well, you kind of mentioned there, what I wanted to get into next was your Dakota Pure. Uh, and I'm curious on the marketing side of this, because with cattle, with crops, you know, it's kind of a commodity market. You bring it to your local elevator, your local sale barn, you can sell everything right there pretty easy. Is that the same with bison? Are there options for that just to make marketing simple or was Dakota Pure and your direct marketing enterprise? And, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about that too. Was that a, a requirement almost in this business? So how, how the bison industry generally works, um, there is a lot of people that do direct marketing. They're, the majority of the animals are, you know, they go to about three or four different processors. There's a couple of big ones out in Denver, Idaho, and then there's a couple of big ones in Wyoming and there's some, or not Wyoming, in uh, Wisconsin. And then there's a couple of smaller ones in South Dakota. You know, a lot of the guys, it's similar to beef, beef, you know, where, you know, a lot of guys, they don't have the facilities or to handle the animals you know, to, to keep their own calves till they're fat and they don't have the land to do it. So generally guys will buy them and then they'll sell directly. You'll either keep your own and keep them till they're fat, ready to go, or, or they're sold. I'm not doing a very good job. Anyways, it's similar to cattle. Some guys feed their own out. Other guys, uh, sell them as calves. You know, they wean them, wean them in whatever, November through February and, and then sell them off to the next guy. Or even sometimes the processor will buy them and, and, and have them, the processor and the seller will buy them and have them finish themselves. So what's, what happened with the Dakota Pure is there's always a need for more people to have the ability to get bison meat. There's so many people that don't know about it. They assume it's, you know, like deer or like elk. And it's not. It's something totally different. It's a lot more similar to beef. The the problem with the bison industry is so small. There's only like five hundred thousand bison in the world, and you know they kill what do they kill a hundred thousand beef a day? Is that what they're killing right now? So if you I'm kill, not even sure, yeah, but wow! If you kill bison like they kill beef, every last cow, calf, and bull would be dead in five days. So it's such a smaller market. We just thought it was necessary just to get more animals and most of our animals do just we just sell them directly to the processor you know, have good relationships with our processors and so those animals like that meat is the meat that you see in the grocery stores and the costcos and, and things like that but um us and other bison producers you know is like well, why not why wouldn't we you know because that's what people are hungry for right now they're hungry to know where their know where their meat comes from and know the people that are raising it and so we're just like, why not? You know, let's, let's dive in. So we partnered with the, the Himes, you know, they have, uh, Alex has, has, you know, been feeding out animals for years. And then he's got, you know, eight or 900 pairs and we have our 900 pairs running down here on our place. And some of the best animals, you know, we pride ourselves on only using the prime prime animals for Dakota pure. And so we just got together and we're like, well, let's, let's try it. So we we made a logo, you know, it'd been a, about a year ago this time or over a year ago. This time we started making a logo and then we got the website launched, you know, there in July 
and went through all of the all of the stuff, you know, getting the boxes made to ship directly to our customers' doors. And it's been a wild ride to say the least. Uh, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, but we, you know, market everything on social media. That's so uh, we we'll go through, you know, and and talking with social media influencers, YouTubers, YouTubers, and and I was a little worried about the response. Like on a lot of this, we we're doing, you know, because there is a very negative. You know, there can be a very negative response to raising livestock in this day and age, which is just insane. You know, because that's how humans became humans was raising livestock and eating red meat, you know. But um, it's been overwhelmingly positive, um, which is is very, like, reassuring, you know. Um, Even the video we did with Zach Johnson, Millennial Farmer, you know, he got half a million views. And it was just... I would say 99.9% was all positive, which was surprising to me. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it it makes you feel better about what you do, but yeah, we just, it's, we just think it's vital. It's vital that people can, you know, if they want to buy some meat, they come directly to us and get it, you know? So, and there's more and more people doing it all the time and it's just, yeah, there's a movement. I think what you're saying is really spot on And, and talking about, uh, that livestock and, and grazing properly managed grazing like you're doing, like we're trying to do is important. And, and maybe just talk for a moment on why, you know, to anybody who might be listening to this, who doesn't understand why it's good, what you're doing uh, in your management is improving the soil and actually beneficial for our environment. Yeah. So with our uh, cow calf herds, we mimic that natural movement. So basically you want the more, more animals, on a smaller amount of area for a smaller amount of time. So you, you bring the animals in, you graze off the grass that's there and, you know, they stomp down everything else and, you know, it gets turned into manure and urine and everything else gets smashed down. Then you move them to the next one. You get out of there, you let that land rest. And this is, it's all sequestering carbon. Um, it's natural you're, you know, that's an issue with a lot of areas, you know, desertification across the United States is they're not allowed animals to graze out there. And that's what people don't realize. They think animals are bad for their environment. Well, the animals are the environment. They are the key. I mean, if you took our bison off of our pastures, I don't know how long it would take, but it would be a desert, you know, after however many years it would, it would actually turn into a desert. Just because mm-hmm. there's not that natural breakdown of the organic material that gets turned into organic matter, it's it's crucial. I mean, it's absolutely crucial, and more people need to know that. Yeah. Um, that you get in, you graze it, you get off. Yeah. Just that animal movement is what it brings back the green grass the next spring. You know. Well, you're you're right, and we we just picked up a pasture not too many years ago that had been sitting idle for. 15 years and well just like you're talking about you know when it it was sitting idle with no livestock with no machinery no impact and what happened was that grass grew up and without an animal to graze it and set it back it matured it died and it fell over and blocked out sunlight and smothered the new growth so no new growth could come and after 15 years of that there was just a mat of dead grass and no biology in the soil to break down that dead mass and yeah, just like what you're saying, the livestock act as that pruning tool and can turn what what otherwise would just get mature and die into a plant available nutrient. 
recycle and keep those plants photosynthesizing and just like you said sequester that carbon it's really an incredible opportunity that we have with livestock and that story you're getting to share with your customers is is pretty awesome yeah and you know just people have the opportunity to actually it sounds kind of cheesy or whatever we actually are making a difference you know you when you when you're consuming these meats it's crucial and there needs to be more of it across the, you know, across the world, across the U.S. So if you continue to support these, you know, these ranchers, it will improve, you know, because that's the only way. That's the only way, you know, I don't know where I heard it, but the only way to save a species, you know, is to eat them. You know, that's the only way you yeah. save a species. And, you know, bison, the numbers got down to, you know, people say anywhere from 700 animals up to whatever it was, 2,000 animals there in the late 1800s. And, uh, you know, through, through market conservation, they brought them back. You know, you start raising these animals for a profit, you start eating them and it gives people that incentive to do a good job, you know? And so that's what, that's what we're doing. And, you know, it's, it's economics, it's science and it just makes sense. So that's, that's how the bison have been brought back, you know, is through that. And without that direct marketing, how does the profitability of bison look when you're just selling direct or not direct, but kind of to a processor or, you know, another, is the profitability still greater than you were able, ever able to accomplish with cattle? Yes, it is. It's, it's an, it's a lot more niche product. So the margins are higher, but you know, it's just like anything else. There's a balance there. You know, if there's too many animals for the market, our, our marketers they can't rush to go, you know, to go open up a bunch of new accounts. And then all of a sudden there's a drought and we get short on animals and those accounts dry up. You know, if a restaurant, you know, if is wants to start serving bison meat, but you can't keep it a constant supply, they got to change their, their menu up all the time. You know, it's a balancing act. So that's where the direct marketing, it takes a lot of that out because our marketers can have steady supply. We know what our supply is going to be. And it's that commitment and that relationship with your buyer and well, yeah, your customer. Yeah. And so that's, that's what, you know, we have our commitments and they have theirs. So you have so much less inputs, you know, they, they, no antibiotics, no hormones for bison, you know, they don't get sick very often. Uh, so yeah, the profitability is there, you know, otherwise we couldn't do it, but you know, it goes through its ups and downs just like anything else. It's a little bit more volatile market. But with it becoming a more mainstream meat, you know, that people are knowing about, that volatility is becoming less and less. Last question before we wrap up here for you. If you, and you mentioned a book earlier, maybe that's one of them. If you had a one resource or one or two resources you would recommend to somebody maybe interested in bison or maybe just a good resource for a rancher in general, uh, that can be a book, a podcast, an ep, you know, a YouTube channel or a, a conference. What, what would you recommend someone look into? Well, that American Bison, that's just an all-around, by Stephen Runella, American Bison by Stephen Runella, that's just all-around great book about the history of the plains and in the history of the bison. Podcast and YouTube-wise, there is just all kinds of information out there. Um, there's the boys down down south, the White Oaks, pack, White Oaks Pastures. We do, uh, we do a lot of work with Gabe Brown up there in North Dakota, um, have a good relationship with him. Um, it's... There's so much info out there now. I know 10 years ago there wasn't, but there's, you can go anywhere, you know, even 
the Minnesota millennial farmer, you know, he's going out to different places, showing what people do all the time. Um, and he's been really good for the egg industry in general, you know, getting that info out there. Uh, so yeah, I, if you're thinking about getting the bison industry, or if you're thinking about going direct marketing, just find someone close to you that's doing it and talk to them and then go talk to 10 other guys that are doing it. This year with COVID, they're doing the National Bison Association and our local Dakota Territory Bison Association meetings in the same place uh, out here in Rapid City. So there'll be a lot of a lot of speakers, a lot of good info out there. And they're also having the the show and sale for the Gold Trophy Show and Sale, which is the National Bison Association. They're also having the Young Guns and Girls Gone Wild Bull and Heifer Challenge where they're putting, you know, genetics to the test. Um, so yeah, it's, it should be an awesome sale out there. That's one thing. Another thing we want to bring into this is the quality genetics. You know, we're going to be hopefully in the future be, well, I guess we are right now, you know, selling our quality genetics and, you know, just continue to improve these animals for the longevity. You know, they live to be 20, 25 years old. You want to have, you know, you want to have the good ones if they're going to be cranking out, you know, 20, 20. 22 calves, you know, they might as well be efficient about it. So that's a good place out there to go get more info about bison and then get those quality animals. All the best producers will be bringing their best animals out there. So great, great resources. Thank you for that. If someone wants to reach out to you or learn more about what you're doing or buy some of your product, where would you direct them? So we're on social media. My personal social media is I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and that's just at Scott Osman. Instagram is at Scott or at Scott underscore Osmond. Um, but the best place to go to would be dakotapurebison.com and then uh, Dakota Pure Bison on Facebook and Instagram. We keep people updated on there on what we're doing, how our animals are doing. Um, we've shipped meat to all 48 states. I think we did ship them to Alaska, but we we don't do that anymore. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that is, it's been going really well. Um, we're actually, I don't know if you've heard of Sean Baker we he's got some meat today from us. He'll be posting about that. The carnivore die guy. He's he's amazing for ranched across the U.S. He's creating that awareness. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Big big learning curve, and we hope to just continue to get. We just don't see why people everywhere aren't eating meat raised in the United States, and so we just want to uh, do that and to do that and use as many American hands as possible you know, getting them that meat the way it's, you know, I just, I shouldn't even have to say that, but I do, you know, I mean, it's, there's a gap out there with not knowing where your meat comes from. And we want to fill that gap. Well, thanks so much for your time, Scott. What you guys have done is pretty awesome. And I appreciate you sharing it with us. Thank you, Jared. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate what you're doing. You know, we got to get more info out there as possible. So I'm glad you're doing this. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com. <laughs>